Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So it's not every episode that I have an opportunity to interview someone that's not only a growth strategist, but also a brand specialist and a combination and speaking all the lingo and all the languages that I love to speak about. So if you're listening right now, you know I like to give my particular um, nicknames to who I'm interviewing. So after doing some research and I'm looking like, what should I name this person? How should I name them? And then come to find out the name was just given to me in her bio. So I'm going to do a combination here, right? So we're going to deem her the chief visionary boss. So without further ado, Natasha, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I like that. The chief visionary boss. So the chief visionary, Natasha Davis, is CEO and brand strategist of Impact Branding and also SaaS founder of the Profit Enhancer Analysis. And what we do is we work with companies to make sure that their company is performing in alignment with the vision of the leader. I've been in business for 18 years. Absolutely love it. Uh, On my hardest day, I still love what I do. Nice, nice, nice. So, I mean, let's just talk about you a little bit. Like, if you could define yourself, I mean, because obviously you're talking about SaaS, which is a completely different mentality than branding, which is a completely different mentality than growth strategy, right? So if you could define yourself in three to five words, what would those words be? Ah, genuine, beast, creative, Mm. intentional, and strategic. Nice, nice. I think you're calling to me when you say beast, like the, like the whole beast <laughs> thing. It's a reality to anyone as an entrepreneur. If you're not, if you do not have that internal beast that's dying to get out, like like everyone I think has it. So for you to say that is definitely a telltale sign of what we're about to really talk about today. So, <laughs> so let's talk about like your business. I mean, obviously, you, you, I think you're at that three stage business, right? Like I think you have like a service, but then you have like the software that supports your service, and then you also have like your consultancy as well. So Let's just, just talk about these three different business branches. Mm-hmm. So the first branch that we have is the service branch. And the service branch is basically what it sounds like. We provide the consulting service to com- companies that need that strategic planning support. And because we do the strategy part of branding, that helps us to tie everything together. We're able to tie in the creative side, tie in the strategic side, tie in the development side. So we tie all of that in. We also tie in the training side as well. When we talk about the product side of our company, we do have a product side. Um, We have several different products between published literature, also have an online academy as a product. And as I mentioned, as a SaaS founder, we have a software for the consulting arena to help consulting companies be able to run their company with more efficiency, to get more performance out of it and to be more profitable. Very nice. Very nice. So, I mean, with that, let's just talk about you, like historically, right? Like, I mean, you just don't wake up on a random Tuesday and say, I'm going to be a growth strategist. I'm going to fall in love with branding and I'm going to help people. And I'm also going to create a software platform, right? So like, just take it back. Like what kind of kid were you growing up? 
You know, I actually started as a registered nurse. My first profession as a registered nurse worked in the emergency room, did that for many years. And I knew that I was born to take care of people. Mm. And while I was in that, uh, that journey, I got bit by the entrepreneur bug and I tried to shake it off a little bit. And um, then I realized, no, this, this is what you're doing. And so I hit that crossroads where I was still working as a registered nurse, still working with, with the hospital, but then I was also really embracing my entrepreneurship journey. So I hit that, that crossroads where I was hungry for entrepreneurship more than I was hungry for being a nurse, but I still enjoyed it. So hit that moment where I had to make a decision, you know, you had to choose sides and I had to make that decision. So I made the decision crossed over into business. Well, what I always tell people, I'm a pretty transparent person, uh, crossing over into business. The first four years was hell. Um, I, you know, I came in with a skill, but I had no knowledge on how to run a business. I had no knowledge on how to be an actual business owner and I, and how to become a CEO. And so I had to realize there were some things that I needed to learn um, and some things I needed to put aside. I had to shift my thinking from being an employee to being an employer. And that's a big, big shift. So I got to that point and dating back to when I was a child, I always knew that I was going to be doing something big. You know, I already knew that I was going to either be the top nurse or the top boss, which one of them. Right. And so either way, I ended up accomplishing both. So here we have it. <laughs> nice. nice. So, I mean, you talk about the, like those four years and I think it kind of goes back to the first year to the first five years is when most companies potentially fail. Mm -hmm. But in that, I mean, you're dealing with other companies that are pretty much going through a similar scenario that you went through yourself. So let's talk about your clients. Like, what is the worst case, like user case that you can kind of talk to without naming names that someone was going through like a major failure and you kind of helped them to overcome that? Wow. Um, you know, one I can think of is a particular company been in business. They were in business for many years, uh, at least 15, no, I'm lying, about 20 years they were in business. Well, they were like the human hamster on the wheel, going, going, but they're never getting anywhere. And one thing I always say is in your line of work, if you can't solve the problem for yourself, how can you solve the problem for others? And so when I encountered this particular person, I knew what they were feeling. I knew what they were dealing with because I encountered that myself before. So worked with them. They were 20 years in business, had no scalability. They had no scale strategy. They pretty much, they were making decent revenue, just under a half a million, but they were burning the candle at both ends. Um, they had no structure, no team. They were just going, 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 going because the industry they were in was in high demand. So when we got together and I asked the simple question of what is your exit strategy? And it's like, okay, first of all, I'm never shutting down my business. I never told you to shut down your business. What is your exit strategy? Because the way that you develop your business and the way you scale your business is directly tied to your exit strategy. Now, the two exit strategies I, I put to her was, are you looking to grow your business to sell it? Or you're looking to grow your business to buy other companies. When we define that decision, that's when we were able to really restructure the business into scale. So fast forward three years, we worked with them, had a great time. Company grew by probably about an additional 200%. Uh, not only that, they were able to launch some of the other product lines to do what? To allow the company to truly scale. And we were able to shift the owner from being so hands-on to being hands-off. So now they had a self 
self-sufficient and autonomous running business. It was a beautiful thing because they were in it 20 years, um, no medical insurance. You know, we've all been there, had our business and have insurance for a while, no medical insurance, didn't have a proper retirement plan set up, something that's really going to feed them and take care of them as they got older. So we got all that set up and taken care of. They took off. They're like a jet right now. It's amazing. Nice, nice. So I mean, I mean, with that, I think that's probably one of the greatest accomplishments when you you select that particular niche of being like a growth strategist. And I think a lot of people don't really understand the definition of what that is. And then you're kind of defining that, right? You're putting systems in place to kind of have growth, but at the same time have scale. And then that way the owner can kind of step down and not necessarily relax, but have room for somebody else to step in and replace them and going back to your, your exit strategy, right? They don't have to be in the business entirely full-time forever. So just talk about that a little bit. Like what systems do you currently have in place for your business? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I believe in, again, and, and a company does not run itself. We know that, right? So we have to have systems and processes in place. Systems and processes allows a company to perform with total efficiency. And so some of the things that we have in place, we look at technology. Now, I'm sure everyone is, oh, we know about technology. Well, it's a little bit different. What type of technology is needed for the business and for the industry that a company is in? For example, something as simple as whenever we do onboarding of new teams, right? Uh, a small business, you know, according to SBA, right? You're defined as under 500 million and under a certain number, depending on the industry, right? However, when we think about a small business, we're not talking, we're talking about a company that is started and run by an owner and you're growing it with people. We're not talking about the big, massive companies. So now we have to step back and say, I want to grow my business. What do I need to do? Every time, something as basic as every time we look to onboard a new team member, most companies reinvent the wheel. And so we always try to get them to say, listen, what are the things that you can actually record? That's a key thing. Record it as the training. So it's the same message. The mission and the vision is the same. The service we offer is the same. The clients we work with, like, you know, what we accept, that's the same. The etiquette expectations, that's the same. Why are we constantly saying the same thing over? Record it, fast track that trainer, get them into that, let them learn to be self-sufficient. You can train them, they can test on their knowledge and you can move them along. That's number one. That's the system we have in place. So we record our new employee training, get people plugged in on board. Another thing that we do is we do a lot of automation. Things that can be done with repetition, use automation. There's a lot of tools and technology out here. And to be honest, as a small business, especially in the climate that we're in, sometimes people don't stay as long as you'd like them to. You invest a lot of time hiring someone, training somebody, and then you find out that they're gone in two or three months or even less. So one of the things you want to do, guys, is have technology that automates things. Automate how you communicate with customers authentically. Automate how you get contracts and service agreements signed. Automate how you're getting billing in and out. I believe money in, money out, right? Don't sit there and try to type up an Excel spreadsheet, save it as a PDF, attach it in an email and send it. That's crazy. Automate how you're getting paid. Automate how billing is going. Document things on a calendar. We live by a calendar. 
we live by it. If it's not on the calendar, it is not happening. So we document that and use a project management tool. There's so many tools out there. You have tools such as Asana and Trello, and um, you got Smartsheets, you have Podio, you got Infusionsoft, so many different tools that can be used. Pick a tool that fits your, your company and your model and your team. Use technology. Nowadays, people work from home. You don't really get to sit in the office and in the cube farm and look at everybody, but you still need to have productivity, right? You still need to have performance. Use a system where not only is real time, you can document what's needed. You can track it. Things can be uploaded. You can also communicate with clients. There's tools, integrators called Zapier. You can zap things. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. So I always say if a company is very paper heavy or they're very hands on heavy, I like to go in and see where we can automate some things. We need to automate some things because that will help to really loosen the pressure in the pipe. So, I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously you can hear your passion, right? And I want anyone that does listen to this podcast, I'm going to make an analogy, right? It's like you just heard like a, a coach going to church. Like I, mean, I want you to understand, like, like not only is what she's testifying, but she's she's dropping the information that obviously she's walked in those shoes before. And I want right. you to take heed to everything she's saying, like the philosophies, the strategies, the automation, the systems at hand. Like that's the building blocks of any business that's going to scale and grow. So talking about scaling and growing, right? Obviously, you've been on this journey for a period of time, and the perception is maybe you're overnight success. But in reality, how long have you been on this journey to to get to where you are currently? my God, first of all, definitely not an overnight journey. Uh, definitely took one for the team, right? Um, so I've been in business for 18 years. Um, like I said, the first four years was hell because I didn't know what I was doing. I knew my craft for, for that point, um, but I didn't know what I was doing. Made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of wins. But I want to say that I, I really remember hitting the point where it's like, boom, got it. And, and then knowing how to get moving. However, that probably took about seven years from, from the point of, all right, let me get this thing going. And in seven years, I was like, boom, got it. And let me share with you that guys, it's, it's not, a, you don't, you're not trying to be the best in a year. You can't be, you can't be the best in a year. You can get better every single year, but you can't be the best. The other thing is to avoid stagnation. The most dangerous thing that any business owner can accomplish is I've achieved this goal. I've arrived. I finally made this thing. We got it down packed. And then you sit there. You don't create anything new. You don't step into anything new. You don't launch it. You sit there. Well, essentially you're actually rotting because you're not growing. You're not progressing. So the key is to obviously bust through those competency gaps, right? We all go from being incompetent to being competent, bust through those competency gaps. And every time you get to the point where you finally got something, it's time to purposely put yourself back in the place of incompetence, which means you got to start over, launch something new, create something. Because if you're not growing, you're, you're really rotting. Um, this is world news, national news, right? Everybody knows who Spanx is. Spank sold their company billions. This is billions of dollars. And she's like, she's like, I'm just getting started. Sold the company for billions to Blackstone. She's like, I got to keep growing. What's next on the horizon? This girl is like, I'm just getting started. Yeah. Literally. Now keep in mind, Spanx is not an overnight success. She didn't even, she did not even 
launch an advertising campaign, probably if I remember correctly, till she was almost 12 years in business. Her first advertising campaign came well after. She started with about $5,000 from her um, retirement account, ran her business, launched it, and she kept growing. Every year she grew. Every year she grew. The woman didn't even have a brick and mortar business for almost the first, what, 12 years? Yeah. So now we have people that they start a business today and all of a sudden in three months, they got this big old massive building with signs on it, costing them a leg and an arm. They can't turn a profit. They can't even meet expenses, but they look good. You know, we got a nice office. <laughs> we <Yeah>. look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I definitely can concur with that. I mean, it's, it's, it's the reality of keeping up with the Joneses, but in reality, the Joneses are more so like like Jay-Z, like they're out of pocket, but they've been in the game for so long and they've put in all the building blocks. I mean, if you listen to like Jay-Z's music and you listen to what he's been preaching about for like the past 20 years, he was telling you exactly how he was becoming a billionaire while he was becoming a billionaire in the process. But it took him 20 years for that to really happen. And it didn't really start compounding until literally the last 10 years. Like the last real five years is when he really hit that billionaire mark. And now he's going through the roof, much like you're saying with Smacks. So that leads me to like my next question, right? So obviously you've been on the journey for 18 years. You've seen successes. You've seen up and down. You've seen hurdles. But if you could time travel back and communicate with yourself, you had 30 second window, right? When would you go back? And what would you say to yourself? I would go back to myself and I would say, don't borrow money hmm. because the first run of business, I borrowed money and I borrowed money, which means I didn't respect the process. And so because I was given this lump sum of money, I didn't respect the dollar. I didn't respect the process. And so therefore I wasted money, a lot of it and wasted time. So the first thing I would say to myself, don't borrow any money. You got a product, you got a service, go sell it. Because now you begin to respect the money, the dollar, which in turn, you respect your decisions better. I remember for those that know, Paula Dean did, a, did an interview and she said, when I started, I couldn't afford to buy bad lettuce. I couldn't afford to buy bad bread or make a bad purchase because we didn't have the money. So we had this $200 and we needed to make sure every single dollar of this $200 was very effective. So I couldn't afford to accidentally buy some bad lettuce and buy bad meat. Same concept. When we are given money, we don't respect the process and therefore we make very sloppy decisions. And I made a lot of sloppy decisions uh, because I, I had access to this money and I could just squander it. Well, I would, I would definitely do that. The second thing I would tell myself is stop hesitating. Stop hesitating. Do it. Instead of sitting there, I remember I, <laughs> I used to I used to plan myself into poverty. Literally, I would say, oh. I would procrastinate, procrastinate because I want every T crossed, every I dotted. It had to be absolutely perfect before you roll it out. Well, let me explain something to everyone here. It will never be perfect. You won't know if something works until you roll it out. You won't know if the podcast is going to be a hit until you roll it out. You won't know if the software is going to be a good idea until you roll it out. 
You won't know if your service, if your coaching, if your consulting, if your book is going to be of any value until you roll it out. Now, keep in mind, you, you can perfect it. You can fix it after, but you have to get it out there. And so waiting until it's perfect is not a good idea. And that's what I would tell myself. Definitely. Wow. Wow. So like we just moved from a regular church to a mega church, everyone. So that's what you to understand. Like the nuggets that she's dropping and, and, and it's real, right? So I think to your point, I think first part of what you said was the fear factor, right? People are being scared shitless of what, what their product is going to do when it hits the market. So they want to make it perfect. But in reality, I think people miss the opportunity to create whatever it is, let the market delegate and talk to you and communicate to you to tell you what modifications and changes that you need to make. And then you rebrand and relaunch that sucker. It could be the same exact product with a new logo, a new book cover, change out the intro, change out the outro. And it's a whole new product for a whole new audience. But now you're talking to that community correctly versus you talking to the other community wrong. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the things I say, don't look for perfection. Mm -hmm. Look for progress. Yeah. If you're seeking perfection, you're going to find poverty. You seek mm -hmm. You seek progress, not perfection. No one launches anything perfectly. There's hundreds of large companies that we know of. They've made an oops, like, oh, okay, can't, that wasn't a good idea. And then you take it back and you say, okay, what? Now the key is to what did we learn from that? What did I learn from this? What did I miss? What did I overlook? You know, things like that. I remember when I crossed over into government contract and started doing business with the government. When I got into it, I had incompetence. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I was introduced to it, so I stepped into it. I didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle together, but I said, you know something, I got to get into this because the opportunity exists. And if I wait and I wait and I wait, I'll never get in. I want to sit at this table. So I brought my chair and I sat at the corner of the table. And when the opportunity present, boom, I, I let put it on the table. But guess what? Was it perfect? Did I look like the other companies? No. Did I have this fancy, you know, proposal that had all the colors and the, the fancy? No, I had content and I knew what I knew. And so I, I got to the table. However, fast forward a couple of years in, over time, I have learned how to do things better, how to make a better proposal, how to make a better cost proposal, how to market to the government better. But that came over time. But I would have never known that had I not brought my chair and sat at the corner of that table. Now I'm not sitting at the head of the table, but I am in the middle of the table. I got a proper seat at the table. And that's what you look for. You get in where you can and you, you, you learn, you keep learning and you make the adjustments and then you, you grow from there. Um, I didn't know anything about a SaaS company. I knew I had a pro I knew I, there was a problem and I had a solution. So I developed a SaaS for the software. And when I launched that, and that's real funny, right? It took four years to develop that. Four years to get it developed from the point of, all right, let me go ahead and make this happen. Four years, three developers, four years. And now when we're fully launched now, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so I've learned so much. I'm able to support other, other SaaS founders. And, and especially as a female SaaS founder, you know, the playing field isn't level. And so now I'm able to support them based on what I've learned. However, ahead, there's so much more to come, you know, understanding what go to market really looks like, but you have to learn it. You'll never learn that stuff. If you don't get in, you got to get in where you fit in. Don't wait for perfection. Just go for progress. 
I mean, one of the things that, that you that you talked about and alluded to was just like government contracts. So, I mean, are, are you more so like an A8 certification? Like what flavor? Because I mean, I think business owners, they hear government and they're like, I'm not trying to deal with the government and like you're head on diving into it. So let's just, just talk about like, like what sort of, because I mean, obviously if you're working with the government, usually there's some kind of certification that goes along with that. So like what flavor are you and, and what, where, where, where do you fall in that spectrum? So we hold our, um, we hold several certifications. We don't hold an 8A yet. We hold our several certifications. We have a DBE, WOSB. We have our MBE, our WBE, our SBE. So we have those, those certifications. And here's what I'll say um, to anyone, you know, who's that, hey, that piqued my interest or whichever. Here's the one thing I'll say to that. Government contracting is a whole new language. It's a different language from you know, secular business or private business, right? So some people work in certain departments. So if you work in the faith-based, it's a different language from secular business. Then it's a different language from private. It's a different language from nonprofit. And government is a completely different language. However, the principles transcend across the spectrum. So when you step in, going after certifications is understanding what agency am I going to market to and what certification most piques their interest. Each certification has a certain um, position. Now, the other thing is for someone who says, I want the 8A. Well, you can get 8A, but 8A has a time limit. You want to time yourself getting into an 8A because you want to maximize your opportunity in an 8A. Um, in 2020, we were going to go for the 8A. And I said, mm, let's hold on, obviously, from what happened, right? And so now we're looking at this year. It's okay. This year, things are balancing out. Um, the government is still recovering, going through some things. So we're like, you know what? Let's continue to ramp up. And then next year, we're going to go for that 8A. But let me tell you what the key thing is. When you go into an 8A situation, you want to make sure that you at least have some good partners in your roster. You want to make sure you have a good uh, pipeline of, of, of resources and talent. Because when you get a contract, even before 8A, any contract you get, you need to have manpower. Government buys manpower. They buy your talent, but they're also buying manpower, okay? And so if you go in and you're a one woman or a one man show and you don't have a roster, a pipeline of people you can reach into, when you get a contract that needs to be executed and you can't reach in and get, get backup support, I promise you that's a problem. And if you ever get kicked off of a contract, that is a bad century, it's a bad century. So stepping into that place, like over the years, we have built a very, very robust, I have an internal team of seven, and I've built a very robust pipeline of resources to reach into. But that was done intentionally. I can pick the phone up and I can call any industry for any level of support. But you want to build into that, right? That doesn't happen overnight, right? That's like, that's that not an overnight success, but you want to be intentional. So you know, really leaning into government contracting is a beautiful thing. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. But it's a beautiful thing. But you want to be very intentional with it. And a company that only wants to build a business purely off of government contracting, it's not really a good idea. Because as we can see, if the government gets shut down, so do you. Uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah. you want to build a healthy balance. 
I think one of the things that uh, if, if anyone that's listening is familiar with like the lean business model canvas and one, two, two points that she brought up was like the key resources and key partners. Right. And that's like the, the epicenter of, of the system. Right. So th- to her point, you can scale or expand and contract as fast as you need to. Just like she's saying, just by picking up a phone. So finding out who your key partners are and keeping those key partners and also find out who your key resources are and keeping contact with those key resources at all times. So talking about like your key partners and your key key resources, I would think just by listening to you, I would say your parents or somebody in your family had to be an entrepreneur. Like this type of information just doesn't fly through the sky, come through osmosis. Please tell me you come from an entrepreneurial family. Somebody in your family has to have this hustle. Oh yeah. I come from a very deep, deep entrepreneurship family. My father, uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, my best friend, my mentor, he um, entered into the entrepreneurship world at the age of 19 and he stayed there until the day he passed when he was 70 years old. Um, my grandmother who passed away at 95 years old, she was in entrepreneurship since she was, oh my God, twenties. And, and she pretty much remained there uh, for the duration of her life. Um, I have aunts, I've, I have uncles, um, siblings, you know, I have eight siblings, uh, all, all together as eight of us. So I'm, I come from a very deep, rich family of entrepreneurship. And in that journey, I, I get to see both sides of entrepreneurship. I get to see full-time entrepreneurship. And I also got to see part-time entrepreneurship. So I knew both sides of of the of the fence here and i also knew what i wanted i tried part-time entrepreneurship it didn't work for me because i was so hungry for full-time entrepreneurship i I wanted a legacy i wanted to build a legacy i wanted to to make that impact right i wanted to make sure that i was doing great things right i wanted to bring myself to this universe and so therefore full-time entrepreneurship resonated more with me. Now, part-time entrepreneurship is for other people. And also I like to say entrepreneurship isn't for everybody as well. So I did come from that family and I do have some family members who are like, no, no, I don't want entrepreneurship. I've seen it. I don't want any part of it, but I, I respect them for it because at least they don't step into territory where they have no intention on really to perform with excellence. Like I say, don't, don't clog the wheel. So I have family members who are like, I, I respect you guys, but I will never do it. I don't, I don't have the stomach for it. You got to have a certain type of a certain type of uh about you to be especially full-time you can't be no thin-skinned weakling you got to be able to take a couple lumps and get up like you need to be able to understand what it feels like to not get paid not for a week not for a month but like a year like or two what does it feel like to not get a paycheck what does it feel like to go without medical insurance for for not a month but for two three four five ten years Right. So I'm not saying that that is what entrepreneurship I'm saying that that is the reality of it. And if someone is not really ready to step into the shoes of entrepreneurship, then just stand down and be okay with that. But we find a lot of people in the world nowadays that they get pissed off with their boss. And they feel like they can do they can make millions in a year and they want to go start their own business. And then they find out that the struggle is real. And this is the school of what? The hard knocks. And they find out, oh, wait a second. This is not a game. No, this is not a game. This is not a rehearsal. 
But I think it's weird that you bring that up because I mean, like, I think everything you're saying is 100% true. But in today's world, like, there's this new thing, these new currencies, this digital currency that just Mm -hmm. makes that philosophy start to come somewhat of a reality to where I'm just going to quit my job and I'm going to just invest in NFTs and then I'm going to become a millionaire. Now, for some that happens, for most it doesn't. But to your point, I mean, if you go back 10, 15 years, those opportunities to make the digital money didn't exist. So it was like a false hope back then. So so like my next question is like, with that, I mean, like, what's your philosophy between like the digital world that we're in and you're working in versus like the old school bedrock philosophies that are still running the world today? You know, I honestly, I'm the old school. Like, I like old school business because it's stable. It's Mm. short and it's stable. However, I'm intelligent to know, intelligent enough to know that we have to embrace new age way of doing business. But you, as a as a as a as a CEO, I have to know how far over I'm I'm willing to go. There's certain things that I'm just like I'm not I'm not stepping into that. You know, again, so many different types of opportunities. There's certain things I'm not stepping into. Um, like for example, and I'm not throwing shade on anybody. I'm just saying I choose not to run my business by Cash App. I'm just not doing it. One, when I, the clientele I deal with, that's just not going to look well. But also, two, as, co- as a government contractor, there's no way for me to provide P&Ls, reports. Mm-hmm. I have no way to do that. So because of the industry I'm in, I choose not to run my business by cash up. Now, there are a lot of companies that, well, it's convenient. Yes, it's convenient, but you still need to run your business with proper financials and reporting. So I understand that there is a new age. People can start a business overnight. Literally, uh, someone can say, I have an idea, I'm going to start a business and they can literally be a business, you know, on paper in 24 hours. However, back in the day, that did not happen. Right. So now in order for you to lean in and call yourself a business, there were certain things that you had to show up with. So yes, the opportunity to start a business is faster. However, the funny thing that exists is that even if you start a business using the microwave approach, even if the foundations of business still holds true to traditional business, still holds true. We get tied up as a people and a small business community. We get tied up on the number of lights that we have on social media the number of views on TikTok. And I'm the type of person, I couldn't care less about that. I care about the number of dollars in my bank account. So if I can't tie the likes and views and followers to a dollar amount, those things don't take that much precedence for me. So yes, we have to be present on social media. Yes, we have to do that, but we also have to be careful about the amount of time that we put into that and the precedence that we put on it. And we forget the foundations of business still hold true, even with all this newness that we're in. Very true. Very true. And I just want to say, I love these conversations because like in my mind, I'm making all these mental maps of different things that you said. And I just want to kind of pull from the forward and bring them forward. So I think earlier on, you were talking about you had eight brothers and sisters right yeah. so and then you're coming from an entrepreneurial families so like my next question is like 
with that type of background and figuring out who takes a shower, when they take a shower, and who's doing business, not doing business, I can't even imagine. So in today's world, how are you juggling and managing your work life with your business life? You know, um, that's a great question. In the beginning, I, I didn't know how to. I mean, I I literally was up till probably two, three o'clock in the morning, mm. took a two hour, three hour nap. And then I was up again by 6 a.m., 7 a.m. You know, I didn't I didn't understand balance. And, you know, as you get older and you start to understand the the importance of of memories, of family, of, of self-care, of finding that I, I found that's not sustainable because every year I'm going to get older every year I'm getting older. And if I don't take care of myself in my young years, in my older years, I'm going to be broke down. I'll be tired. I'm not going, I'm not going to be able to sustain. And one of the things um, that I, I pay attention to is me. I need to get my rest. I'm not in that team, no sleep life. That was in my twenties. I'm not about that team, no sleep. I'm going to sleep at nighttime. I go to sleep. I get my full eight hours and then I get up. However, I have a very disciplined schedule. I get up at you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I have a very disciplined schedule, but also I don't work until 11, 12 o'clock at night. I don't do that. So finding balance is important. But the other thing also is I have actually mitigated and debunked the whole concept of balance because work-life balance does not exist. Trying to achieve balance will stress you out. So what I go for is work-life integration. As an owner of my company, I am given a privilege that many don't have that have to work in the workforce. I choose my schedule. I choose what I'm doing with my time. I choose to go on vacation for a week or two weeks. I choose to be off for the week of Thanksgiving to be with family. And also I choose not to. So as a business owner, I am provided with the privilege of choice which I didn't have when I worked for a company and I was in the workforce. I was told when I can spend time with my family. I was told that and I didn't like it. And so as a business owner, I go for integration. I prefer work-life integration. Trying to achieve total equilibrium and balance is not possible because at any one given time, one side is going to demand more than the other. At no time do you have equilibrium. In business, depends on what's going on. The business may require more. And then sometimes in personal life will require more. When my father passed away two years ago, my best friend, my mentor, we talked to my dad two, three times a day. I could not give everything to the business, which I was so thankful that the business was groomed to take care of itself. So I was able to honor my father and his legacy and to mourn without a two-week time frame or a one-week time frame for bereavement, right? And so I believe work-life integration is what can be accomplished. Achieving balance is not possible. That's my philosophy. Very, very interesting. I think one of the things you alluded to was just talking about like your 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 regimen being very strict, right? So let's talk about like your morning routines. And, and anytime I hear someone say they have a strict regimen, and that usually leads me to they start their day off in a particular way or a particular fashion. And I would assume that yours is, is falling into that category as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong. 
No, you're right. You're right. One thing I learned is um, without discipline, you, you will not you will not grow your business. Mm -hmm. Lack of discipline leads to sabotage of the vision and of the goals. You can't have a lack of discipline. If I have a vision for something, I'll be disciplined. And if I'm disciplined, I'll have the success. Mm -hmm. And so my morning starts 536 latest. I'm, I'm up. I have what I call is my me time. You know, I have my devotion time. I get to work out. I sit down. We have to, we have to respect the pause. And I learned that probably about eight years ago, respect the pause, respect the quiet. I will sit down in absolute quiet and just allow the universe to download to me because it is in quiet time that the greatest evolution and revelation happens. And so in the morning time, and I'm not talking about a two, three hour, I'm talking about 30 minutes, just sit down and be at peace, drink my little coffee. I have my devotion time. My workout time is better in the morning. I found that out. I am not disciplined if I wait until the evening to work out because it, it won't get done. <laughs> so I have to work out in the morning time. My workday starts promptly at 9 a.m. Not 10, not 9.15, not 8.30, 9 a.m. That discipline transcends also to clients. I don't have clients texting or calling me or emailing me with the expectation of a response at six, seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning. And in the same respect, I don't get that nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. I don't have that. So my day starts, my work day starts at 9 a.m. and it promptly ends no later than 7 p.m. One, one of the things that I have learned is that every hour of my business day is a revenue producing hour. And if I waste that hour, I'm wasting money. What I do with every hour of my business day is a revenue producing hour. So whatever my hourly weight is, if I piss away that hour, I'm pissing away money, right? So I don't play around with my work day. I'm not hanging out with my homegirls, taking a three hour lunch in the middle of the work day. <laughs> it's not happening. I, I have lunch. I, I clock in and clock out actually, because that also makes discipline. I, as a CEO, am not exempt from clocking in and clocking out. I'm not exempt from policies and procedures. I'm not exempt from performing, right? So I actually clock in and I clock out just like anybody else. Very nice. So, I mean, I mean, with that, I mean, I'm hearing you speak and I could hear the passion. You talked about your dad being your mentor and you're talking about this legacy of being followed in, in this group of entrepreneurs in your family. I would think that there was some books on this journey. So like my next question is a three-part question. What books were given to you to say by your dad in this particular example that helped you on your journey, right? What second part of this question is like, what books are you actively reading right now? And the third part of this question, with all this reading, please tell me you had an opportunity to author a book as a kid. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start from the back and work my way up. So yep. yes, I've actually authored three books. Um, I've authored three, authored and published three books. I like to say I've published because some people author, but they don't publish, mm -hmm. which for different reasons, but I did author and publish three books. Um, my dad had a different way of transferring knowledge to me. Mm -hmm. So he would experience something and then he would transfer that knowledge to me. And then he'd make recommendations. Like, did you see this read? Did you see this article? Did you, did you hear about X? And I'm like, no, he says, well, you should go figure it out. And I'm like, well, could you just give me the book or the article? So he would to ask me something that he knew would be like, really? And he would not just hand it to me. He would then force me to go find it. So I would have to go look it up, 
go search it up, go do whatever to find it. I would then have to get that information. I said, I found it. Here's what I saw. And we would literally compare notes, right? Compare concepts. The books that I'm currently reading, it's it's kind of weird. I usually read about three books at any given time. Um, I read books about personal development. And then the, the next two books I read on is usually about business growth. So I, the book I, I read now is um, Doing Business by the Good Book. Okay, that's, that's one book. And that's more about me becoming a better leader, um, being a better businesswoman, understanding me, right? So I, I, I'm reading that. And then I read about my industry. So I'm always reading things and articles about my industry. So I'm in the area of strategic planning and brand strategy. So I'm always reading about the industry. Um, I've, I've read several times about fourth quarter first. I've, I've read that book several times. And there's also um, the good, uh, good branding, bad branding. I read that as my second go round on that one. And I also um, currently am reading what great brands do. And so I read on that stuff, right? Um, and then I also pay attention to, I need to un- always stay connected to the pain of my clients and my audience, right? Just because I have grown past something, but I can't ever forget what it felt like. Because if I forget what it felt like, then I won't be able to connect with the client when they're having that same thing. I'll get, you know, you get rigid. So there's one book that I'm reading called You're a Badass at Making Money. And I look at that. The thing about that book is I never had a problem around money. I don't have a problem making money. I don't have a problem at all. Never had a problem. I'm not scared to make money. However, I read that book because I have learned that there are some people who have money blocks. They have, they want They say it out of their mouth. I want to make a million dollars. But in reality, they're afraid. They're afraid to make that money for different reasons. So I'm reading that book so that I can understand the mind of people that are afraid to make money. Because if you come to me and say, I don't know, what would I do with a half a million dollars? I'm like, what? Let me tell you what you could do with a half. Come on. You don't know what to do with a million. Let me talk to you about some things. I can't talk to the person who's afraid of it like that. They, it won't resonate. I won't connect with them. So I read stuff like that so I can understand the pain that others are feeling so I know how to deal with them. If I don't have the pain, I don't know. I'm looking at you like you're crazy. Like, what do you mean? What is that? So I, that's, that's how I, I help to stay connected with other people. So I read about other pain points. I read about business uh, development. And I also always, I'm always reading something about personal development. The best thing that one can do is be totally in tune with self. If you know yourself inside and out, nothing can stop you. Nothing in the world can stop you because once you know who you are to your core, to your soul, there is no rejection that can, can screw you up. There is no, there's nothing that can stop you. There's no obstacle that can present itself that will stop you in your tracks and be like, I don't think I can do this. Wow. So, I mean, there's so many different nuggets and jewels that, that you dropped on this episode so far. And again, I keep wanting to pull in to make sure that we kind of give a little bit more emphasis on particular things that you said earlier. Yeah. So going back to what you said, I think in like the first of five, 10 minutes, right? You were talking about systems, you were talking about automation, mm-hmm. and you were talking about having access to software and your software as well. So this next question is about those tools, about those software. Like what tools do you use or software do you use on a day-to-day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing without having access to those platforms? Awesome. Well, 
I obviously use my own software because that's for consulting and that's how I help to develop um, strategies for my clients, but also I identify their gaps. That's called the Profit Enhancer. So the Profit Enhancer Analysis is a software we use every day. Um, the other tool that I use every day is Asana. Asana is similar to things like Trello, Monday, Smartsheets, Podio, but we use Asana. My team just does better with Asana. Without Asana, I really don't know how our days would run. Things would be very messy. Um, and then my third tool that is an, a must is Infusionsoft. We use Infusionsoft. That is our, our CRM system. Everything that we need is there. That's our automation system as well. And then also we, we use T-Sheets as our clock-in uh, to clock-in and everybody clocks in and out on T-Sheets. And we also track, also tracking the time that you're spending on any one client project. So we use T-Sheets for that. Um, QuickBooks is our accounting tool that we use. Um, I, I honestly, before using QuickBooks, it was painstaking, you know, like get remembering to get invoices out, um, remembering to get in paid, you know, you you forgot that that so-and-so didn't pay or you forgot to send something out or something like that. Uh, without those tools and using the automation, I promise you, it would be very, very painful. Um, you know, our social media, our social media team manages things. I like to use social media schedulers um, personally, because if you try to log in every day to post to a platform, that in itself takes hours, hours and days. So we use a scheduler. Um, we use Buffer and we also use OnlyPult. So those are the tools that our company uses for social media scheduling and management. Um, yeah, we use a lot of tools. We use a lot of software to just to automate things. And those are the main ones that we use every day every day those are used nice i don't think i don't think people realize like as strategists like that's part of what we do in in a sense like there's a lot of talking about telling you how to do things but the software is really like the gift to the where this is how you can do it at scale and not have to hire 25 people to do everything that we're trying to educate you on. So you mentioned clients. We talked about clients. You told your story, you told a case study. So, I mean, ideally, like who is your ideal avatar? On one side, you're talking about government, but who is your ideal customer avatar in the business space? Yeah. So, and I'll say this because most people automatically go to how much revenue do you make? What industry you're in? Right. So I'll answer those questions, but I'm going to, I'm going to share with people why that is not the end all be all to identifying a client. So the industries that we work in are um, professional services, right? We also work in the healthcare space. That's our industry. And we also work in the trucking and logistics. So those are our, um, non-government clients that we, we, we work with. Okay. When we talk about a revenue threshold, the reason I don't really lend that heavy to it is because I've gotten, I, I, we started working with clients that were making less than a hundred thousand and we scaled them to making over $300,000 and, and upwards. So I'm not hell bent on, and that's something that I had to learn as well. Because many people would step in and if the company's not making a million dollars, but you know what? In the reality, you have some companies that if they just got the support, they could, they could grow. So I'm not hell bent on revenue on, on to accept the client, but there are some, some thresholds, some parameters, right? A trucking company, for example, to be honest, a trucking company has to have at least six trucks 
or more. They have to have at least a fleet of six or more because otherwise they won't be able to appreciate the level of service that we can bring. Then you come over to healthcare, medical practices generally are doing anywhere from 300,000 um, and up a thrive, a, a decent practice. Let me put it like that. And the practice really does need to have at least three medical providers. Okay. And then you have a professional service business, which could be consulting, IT, HR, anything like that. That's the tricky industry. Because again, as a, as a service-based company, I've had companies that came to me that were less than a hundred thousand and I was able to scale them. I've also had companies that came to me and they were making 17 million and I was able to scale them and, and plug money leaks. So that's the trickier side. It just really depends. Now here's the pain that most people come to me with. The owner feels like a human hamster on a wheel going, 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 and they are not hitting margins. They're not hitting targets. They're not hitting goals. They know that something is wrong. They just can't put their finger on it. They are spending more time and they're getting less production, less results out. The other area that people end up coming to me with is they may be making good money, but it's the same exact revenue every single year plus or minus a couple thousand. They never get past that window, that ceiling. They keep slapping that ceiling. They never get past it. A company that gets to the point where they don't have any documented strategy, no business plan, no strategic plan, no operating budget, no, no um, operations, no processes, no systems. Those are the clients that end up coming to me. And generally speaking, it is always tied they're just tied in so many ways because the owner will say, we need more customers and da, 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 da. We're not making enough money. We need more customers. And I will always end up finding that the reason why the business isn't moving has nothing to do with customer acquisition. It has everything to do with systems and processes. There's no plan. You got 10 people and none of them know what the plan is. Everybody's doing their own thing. So when a company doesn't have co cohesive or what we call a unified way of thinking, you got 10 people in a company and all 10 of them are doing 10 different things. No one is, no one is pushing the boulder in the same direction. Somebody's pushing it east. The other person's on the other side, pushing it west. The other person's pushing it south and then the other person's trying to push it north. So you got all these people on different sides of this huge boulder that you're all in. You say, I want to go up the hill, but everyone's pushing it in different directions. And you're wondering why the heck have we not moved this boulder? And I mean, people are working. They working, sweating bullets. And then they, everyone stepped back and they're like, this thing is in the same exact place that it was when we started. <laughs> good analogy. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is going off of that, that analogy about the boulder being stuck in place, and, and it makes logical sense. And I want I want the listener to like envision this, right? I mean, envision your company or your bundle of money is in the center of four different people, and if you can just push it in one direction, that bundle will get bigger, kind of like the snowball effect. But all yeah. four people are holding it stagnant, right? So if you could leave any final words of wisdom. Right. And you're talking to your ideal avatar and you're telling them, OK, look, these are the things that I want to help you with. What words of insight would you give to them to help them to progress, to make that ball roll in the right direction? The one thing I would say is the, the day that you get the company to perform 
mm-hmm. in alignment with the way that you're visioning it, that's the day that the company will grow. Mm-hmm. That's the day. If the company is not performing, if you're waking up at night, two, three o'clock in the morning with that pit in your stomach, with the frustration, the anger, the confusion, and you're like, why is this not working? Do we need to hire more people? Do we need to fire more people? Am I doing the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Here's the big one. A lot of small business people forget to protect their retirement. There's a lot of us that wake up in the middle of the night, like, I don't even know how I'm going to take care of myself when I'm 70 years old. That's a problem. The company is supposed to take care of you. At some point, the company has to convert so it takes care of you that you don't continue to take care of it. We got to mature this baby, right? Get them off to college and stuff like that. So the person that's sitting there saying, I have a good company. We're making good money. However, we're not moving in the direction that I've envisioned. We have been trying to accomplish the same goals for the past two, three years. We make the same amount of money. We may, I don't care if you're making a half a million, 17 million or a hundred thousand. If you have, if you're not making more money every year, that's a problem. The company's supposed to scale and grow, right? If you're taking on more expenses and more manpower and you're not hitting those profit margins, that's a problem. And so I say it's time to get strategy because chief visionary believes no good brand should be left behind. Not one, not one. All right. So that's it. Fine. <laughs> so, so talking about calling you, I mean, how can they get in contact with you? I mean, where are you on social media? What website would you want to leave behind for someone to get in contact with you? Yeah, the best way to get in touch is just to go to impactbrandingconsulting.org. That's impactbrandingconsulting.org. Once you get there, you can poke around, you can schedule a power chat. Let's talk about some things to see what's a good fit for you or not. Um, also, if you're that social media hunter, you got to hunt me down. You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. You can find me there. You'll find content. I actually release um, five simple step series on YouTube. So some people, they feel like I got to digest something. Let me see if this girl know what she's talking about. <laughs> so there's content for you right on YouTube at Impact Branding Videos as well. But for people that are like, listen, let me talk through some things. Go to Impact Branding consulting.org very nice very nice so i got a bonus question for you right and i I think i maybe i can guess the answer but i'm not going to assume right (laughs) if you could spend 24 hours with anyone dead or alive uninterrupted for those 24 hours who would it be and why oh that's a good one because i got so many so many um alive dead or alive yeah yeah i'm gonna go with an alive person today I would go with Oprah. I would sit with Oprah. I would sit under her tutelage and just learn and glean from her. Um, Oprah would be that person that I would would sit with. Um, she's an amazing person, amazing businesswoman. But the thing that I respect about her is she understands what it really means to start with nothing. She uh, knows what it means to start with nothing. She wasn't handed anything every single thing that she achieved she had to create it she had to fight obstacles Mm -hmm. she had to overcome her own fears and even today um her dealing with all the different things that she's hit with and dealing with it in such a graceful manner Mm -hmm. she would be someone that woman has so many businesses half of them we don't even know about um and she handles them well and she handles them with grace um just a smart woman that would be my my sit down. So I'm going to drop that in the universe and the universe shall yield to me. 
<laughs> yeah, I think for people that they, they they may think they know Oprah's story, but until you really dive into, I mean, I just want you to envision someone that's a multi-billionaire today at one point in time was wearing a dress made from like bats, bags that mm-hmm. were potato sacks. made of potato sacks, right? So I want you to kind of really think, imagine that. Imagine growing up wearing a potato sack bag, like that, that it's 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 kind of something that you can't even conceive in today's world, right? But imagine that, and imagine where she is right now, and that all happened in our lifetime. It wasn't a hundred years ago. It wasn't three hundred years ago. She's still alive and well. This all that happened in our lifetime. So it yeah. can definitely be done if you're motivated in the right direction. So in, in closing, right, I always give an opportunity whoever I'm interviewing, and then you're a hell of an interviewee. I want to give the microphone to you. The Boston Cage Podcast is now yours. And, and I want to see: Do you have any questions that you would like to ask me? My goodness. Well, you know what? I would love to understand your journey to boss uncaged a journey it's funny when when i get that question because it's it's so short in comparison to like my 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 real journey right so again my journey started like around 2000 i got a degree in graphic design and it was great and i understood the creative side then i went back to school got a degree in web design and multimedia and i was like cool now i have these two different things but they didn't teach me how to monetize how to grow how to scale how to strategize or any of that they were making me more of a button pusher and at the same time you know i went through um, a divorce and primary i got primary custody of my son so i was like figuring out like you know what's my next steps what am i really going to do so i decided to kind of create a business early on, working through that business. And then I started going into other companies. I I worked for Apple, worked for Comcast, and I was literally just going in for six months here, 30 days here. And I was just picking up their systems, picking up their strategies, understanding how they were doing their call center at Comcast and understanding like, what does the center look like behind for the Apple Genius Bar? And I'm taking all, and I'm pretty much getting an MBA by through osmosis going into these environments and i've done all these different things and i became an insurance agent became a travel agent so all these different factors of sectors were all happening at the same time fast forward to 2018 then i had a stroke and when i had that stroke it was like okay dude i think you bit off a little bit too much to chew you put your hands in too many pots at the same time you know getting all this information and growing this metropolis and i looked over to my son and my girlfriend at the time who's my current wife and i was like okay What's next? And she was like, well, it's time for you to brand yourself. You've been branding everyone else and doing all these strategies for everyone else. Now it's time for you to become who you're going to be. And that's when I rebranded myself from Chanel to S.A. Grant. And from then into now, I've had an opportunity to write eight books. And then I've also created the Boston Cage podcast literally just February of last year. So in the past 16 to 18 months, I've taken a brand new concept from everything that I've learned 18 years before, repackage it and rebrand it into why, where I am today. I love it. Well, congratulations to you, boss. Congratulations to you. That's an excellent journey. But, you know, I love that you're sharing that because, again, that's a testament to nothing happens overnight. You you put a lot of sweat equity in to being where you are today. So congratulations to you. Uh, definitely honored to be in the boss pool with you. Uh, definitely honored to do that. So thank you for what you do in the universe and for what you bring into this universe. So thank you. Yeah. And it was definitely a pleasure interviewing you. I mean, I, like, I, I love interviewing people in general, but I mean, today was just, which is a special treat. Like when I saw like your background, I'm like, we're on the same spectrum. It's about to go down. So <laughs> I definitely appreciate that for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. No problem. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. 
don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.